0: notebook throw your hand up and well never mind they're done with the handouts all right if you want a notebook anybody anybody oh becky there's a few there's some notebook ones all right there we go that was confusing first thessalonians chapter number two. two first thessalonians chapter number two is where we're going to be and so um we have been in this series living in light of eternity and working through the book of first thessalonians and really just trying to give you a verse-by-verse study of the book. When we do verse-by-verse studies is when we normally go to the notebooks. Um, The reason why I enjoy that is because sometimes I think that it is critical to have something that you can refer back to in your life. Um, When you've gone through a book, uh, I take a ton of notes in my Bible um, so that I can go back and look at stuff like that. But um, when you've gone through a verse-by-verse study, sometimes it can become a study guide. Hopefully you're using those questions. Um, I would encourage you that if you can get together with someone, um, maybe a great dating opportunity. Uh, But uh, if you can get together with someone, work through those questions, even if you do it with friends. uh, Now virtual is so easy to do, and people pretty much are used to it. And so if you can... I love the sound of those notebooks. (laughs) Uh, But if you can do that, I think it would encourage you and also be uh, a little, maybe a little bit more helpful. Sometimes I think that when we have something like that, I'm really bad about just jotting down the quick answer. But when you know that you're going to have to share the answer with someone else, it is a little bit more difficult. And so 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2, last week gave you 10 points. Today we've only got four. So that's uh, we're going to be done in like 10 minutes, all right? Um, just kidding. Uh, don't get your hopes up. First Thessalonians chapter number 2, we're going to be in verse number 13, reading down through the end of the chapter, uh, through verse number 20. We're going to be answering the question, of what does living in light of eternity look like? Um, Sometimes, and this is something that I don't know whether it's helpful to you, but sometimes what I find that we're guilty of doing in the Christian life and sometimes even in our teaching and our preaching is we're guilty of preaching um, what the Bible says, which is not a bad thing. So let me finish the statement, all right? Let me finish it. What the Bible says and not always necessarily what that looks like for you. And so to just give you facts and head knowledge about a scripture does not always sometimes bring it down to the bottom shelf to where this is what you can do. This is what you need to do as a Christian. This is how this applies to your life. And so in these verses, what you really will find is that Paul begins to get into the thought of what does living in light of eternity look like? So last week, we kind of gave you what we called a manual for ministry. It was 10 points that Paul talked through in the first 13, or first 12 verses of this chapter, he's concluding that thought with, this is what this looks like for you. And so I want you to see that in verse number 13 down through verse number 20. It says this, that you would walk worthy of God who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. That's verse number 12. I don't know why I read that. That's for context, okay? Verse number 13, for this cause also, thank we God without ceasing because when you received the word of God, which ye heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. Let me stop for just a second, okay? 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2, verse 13 is one of the greatest proof texts that you can have that points to the inspired word of God being what it is, Okay? I remember when I was in junior high, I asked my Bible teacher, how do we know that Paul's letters were inspired? You know, if you write a letter to your grandma, you're probably not going to be like, which, who writes letters anymore, okay? Um, But uh, this was when you still in school learned how to like, put a a semicolon after a business letter, or to whom it may concern, and you learned how—no one writes letters anymore, okay? Um, In fact, I write handwritten letters, not because I'm super thoughtful, but so that I don't have to remember all those rules that I learned in elementary school about how to write a letter, okay? Um, But when he said—I asked the question, how do you know that a letter from Paul was inspired? And he took me to this verse, and he says, Paul wrote this to the Thessalonican church, the Thessalonian church, and he says that you received the word of God, you received what we wrote unto you, not as what it was coming, that it was coming from us, but that it was coming from the Word of God and coming from God. And so if I were you, if you have a habit of highlighting your Bible or marking in your Bible, I would highlight that. You can cross-reference with 1 Timothy chapter number 3, uh, verse 16, if you want to cross-reference for it. But for this cause also, thank we God without ceasing, because when you received the Word of God, which ye heard of us, you received it not as the Word of men, but as, but as it is in truth, the Word of God, which effectually worketh also and you that believe. Verse 14, For ye, brethren, became followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. For ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets, and have persecuted us, and they please not God and are contrary to all men. Which is not a category you want to fall into. Forbidding us. To speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved, to fill up their sins alway, for the wrath is come upon them to the uttermost. But we, brethren, being taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. Wherefore we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope, or joy, or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at His coming? For ye are our glory and joy. Would you read verse number 19 and verse 20 out loud together with me? Verse number 19 and verse 20. Ready, begin. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at His coming? For ye are our glory and joy. For ye are our glory and joy and joy. What does living in light of eternity look like? You say, all right, I'm ready to do it. I'm ready to I'm ready to start living like Christ is coming back. I'm ready to start giving myself to God. I'm ready to start living in light of eternity. What will that look like in your life? I think you get a little snapshot of it in these verses. Let's pray and we'll ask God to help us. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity you've given us to look into your word. Lord, we thank you for... Um, who you are. Lord, we thank you that you are a God who somehow can take people like us and you can use us. And so God, I ask that you would help us to surrender ourselves to you. Lord, I ask that you would help us to see you for who you are and that everything that we do would become an overflow of that relationship that we have with you so that we may be always ready to see your face. We would always be ready and willing to live in light of eternity in this present world. Lord, I ask you to give me the words to say today. Lord, help me as I teach. In your name we pray. Amen. Last week we closed the lesson, and we really opened and closed it with the same thought. And it was this question of what would need to change in your life if you knew that Jesus Christ was coming back? And we've all heard people ask that question. We've heard people say, if you knew that Christ was coming back this week, what would you do differently? What would you change? What would you begin to, uh, how would you begin to act? And when we looked through those first 12 verses of 1 Thessalonians chapter number two, we concluded with this thought, and that was this, that Paul really had nothing to change with that question. Paul had nothing that he would have done differently. And so to get to the point to where you can honestly live in this world and say that if I knew that Christ was coming back tomorrow, I wouldn't change a thing is really actually very difficult. And in some ways, as you look at our current culture, it's almost near impossible. But today, here's what I want us to do is I want to give you a little glimpse of what that would look like. Now, some of the things that I'm going to talk to you about today sound like they would be very simple, and you can probably check them off the list, and you can say, okay, I can do that. But there's one spot in here, and there's really the last two points if you want to look at them, That's where the difficulty of the Christian life starts to kick in. That's where the work starts to kick in. And for many of us, the reason we don't live in light of eternity is simply because, and I want you to hear this, we don't have the faith to believe that God is as good as what He says He is. We don't have the faith to believe that God is as good as what He says He is. I had a conversation this week with someone and we were talking about faith, we were kind of talking about doubts, we were talking about really some of the faith in their own life. And I made the statement. I said, you know what? I think more people struggle with that than what you would probably ever even believe. And he said, you really think so? I said, yeah, I, I really do. And he goes, I don't know that I know too many other people who, who struggle with what I'm struggling with. And I said, well, here's where I think it shows up. I think that faith doesn't always show up in the every single person in the church maybe doubts their salvation. But I think where faith and doubt show up is that there's a lot of people that just don't have the faith to believe that God is as good as what he says he is. How many of you ever heard someone talk about a restaurant that just changed their life? You ever heard someone talk about a restaurant that just changed, it? like, oh, my God, once you have this, like, there's people, all these people are like, once you have this steak, you'll never have another, like, it just doesn't even compare. Once you have this, you'll never, like, have you ever heard someone talk about something like that, okay? Guess what? For you, and for the way most people operate, it's like, well, like, if that's as good as what you say it is, then I should pack up everything. I should sell my, my life's living, my lifelong earning, sell my house and commit to being a commercial for this steakhouse or this food place or this vacation area, if that's true. But for most of us, we operate off of the fact that, like, oh, yeah, I mean, it was probably good, but it can't be that good, like, to where if someone put a steak in front of me, like, I'm sorry. I can't have this piece of junk. I've already experienced this, and so therefore I cannot have this, all right? We don't live like that, do we? And sometimes the same is true with Jesus Christ in the Christian life is the reason why we're so unwilling to commit and to maybe dive in and just say, I'm all in, I'm going to sacrifice whatever it takes to sacrifice, I'm going to do whatever it takes to me having to do, I'm going to give up whatever it takes me having to give up, is because we don't really think that it's as good as what it could be. And so what do we do? We go through our life content to live on the mediocre and all the things that this world has to offer that is less than Jesus Christ. And so I want to give you a little glimpse of what this looks like, and we'll look at it straight out of this passage. First of all, I want you to notice with me out of verse number, one, or verse number 13, the first verse we read, is that the Word of God is received, or the Word is received. If you're going to live in light of eternity, it means that you're going to have to be a recipient. You're going to have to have a heart for the Word of God. How many of you have ever heard someone stand up and say this? And, I, and like it hit me as I was studying this how much, how much I've heard this. You ever heard someone stand up? And maybe and I've probably even done it in here, okay? So I'm, I'm making fun of myself, not just others. But how many of you ever heard someone say right before they read the Scriptures or they read something out of, out of the Bible, they say, how many are you glad you have a copy of God's Word? And then, how many of you ever heard someone say that? We're voting, okay? Scientific data. This is being collected and harvested for our polls, okay? You ever heard someone say that? How many glad you have a copy of the Word of God? And everybody's like, amen, and they like wave their Bible and sing, B-I-B-L-E, yeah, okay. Ever heard someone say that? Did you know that it's not just enough to have the Word of God? The Word of God doesn't have an impact on you because you got 27 of them stacked up on a shelf. The Word of God doesn't change who you are just because you have it. That's like walking around your house and looking through all of the things that are broken and looking at everything that's messed up and be saying, whew, sure I'm glad I got a toolbox. I'm I'm glad I could fix this if I wanted to. Having the word of God is not enough, but hearing it and heeding it is where change begins. What does the Bible say? That we should be doers of the word, not just hearers only. And so much of our Christian life and really our life in general that we struggle with is not the result of just having the Word of God. The change begins to occur as we begin to heed it, as we begin to hear it, as we begin to live by it. I want you to see this in this verse. Look at verse number 13 at the end of it. He says, the Word of God, look at the last phrase, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. He said, this book, these words that we've given you that you accepted as the words of God, that you didn't say, well, that's just what Paul thinks. That's just what they're telling us. I bet they go tell someone else something different. He says, you received it as the word of God, not as the word of men. Well, what does that do in you? The word of God works in you as a Christian. And if you're going to step back and you're going to say, well, my life isn't different after being a Christian. My, nothing's changed in my life. I'm not growing. I'm not being fed. I'm not, then it could very well be linked to your relationship with the Word of God. And if you're going to live in light of eternity, it means that you're going to have to step back and you're going to have to say, what this book says is true, whether I agree with it or not. It's interesting to me that no one takes a math textbook, no one takes an English textbook, nobody takes a science textbook and says, well, probably not true because, I, I mean, I don't agree with it. I've never seen those two chemical compounds combined to make that, so eh, guess it's not true. I mean, I can't understand why that axis works like that, so guess it's not true. So why do we do that with the Word of God? Why do we assume that because we can't comprehend it, because we can't understand it, because we can't figure it out, that that means that God is the one that's wrong? And living in light of eternity means that you're going to step back and you're going to say, this book is alive, this book is true, this book is what God has given me to know Him and to begin to tell others about Him. And so if you're going to live in light of eternity, you must receive the Word of God. But then notice secondly, not only is the Word received, but the church is followed. The church is followed. And I want to take a couple minutes just so you're aware and talk to you through this point. The last two points will be quick, okay? But look at verse number 14. He says this, For ye, brethren, became followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. You became followers of the church of God. I possibly see this from a different perspective than maybe what some of you will see it as, but I don't think that I'm any more aware of it than what some of you would be. You understand that the church of God, no matter what stripe, no matter what color, no matter what denomination or affiliation or whatever, is under attack today, okay? To the point to where any mistake that a church makes is viewed critically. Even the things that the church do that maybe line up biblically with the word of God that are not a mistake, it's viewed negatively, okay? And the way that many in this generation, obviously I'm not talking about you, you're the exception to the rule because you're here today. But the way that many in this generation have viewed the church is, well, the church has made mistakes, so therefore we're gonna write off the church and we're going to just love God, okay? you do realize that the church in Scripture is called the bride of Christ. Most people aren't friends with just the groom, right? Man, I sure like the groom in this wedding, but that bride, she's a loser, okay? You You don't do that. You're not going to maintain a steady relationship with only one person of a married couple, okay? And you shouldn't maintain a relationship that way. That's a different principle not applied to what we're talking about, all right? But when we talk about the church, we're not saying that the church is perfect. And I want you to hear this statement. The church is not here to be perfect, but it is here to be a part of the perfecting process of Jesus Christ's saints here on this earth. Charles Spurgeon says that if you ever find a perfect church, don't join it because as soon as you do, it will cease to be be perfect. The church is made up of human beings. It's led by human beings. That's not an excuse for sin, okay? That's not an excuse for immorality. I think the church should rise above that. I'm talking about mistakes. I'm talking about maybe misperceptions, misunderstandings, whatever, okay? Churches that have sin in them and have immorality should be confronting. I'm not condoning that. But if you're just sideways with a church because they told you something you didn't like, because they, they had a standard for something, because they had maybe a different set of beliefs, because maybe they showed their beliefs differently, if you're upset about with the, with the church because of that, you've missed the point. You've missed what Jesus Christ said that the church was here for. And the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you should be able to sit down in church and should be able to hear the Word of God preached. And the Holy Spirit living inside of you should be able to say, that's true. I don't know that I agree with that, but I'm not the, the pastor didn't link it to the Word of God. I'm not sure that I agree with how that's working out, but guess what? I trust God, and I know this is where I need to be. I know that this is what the Holy Spirit's teaching me. The church is not here to be perfect but it is a part of the perfecting process. So what's the application for you and I? Love God, and then find a church that's following God. If you ever move away from here and you move to a different area, don't just go find a church that's going to tell you what you want to hear. Go find a church that's going to tell you the truth. Go find a church that's going to preach the Word of God. Go find a church that's going to teach you the Bible and that's going to grow. Go find a church that is following God and so the church is followed. But then notice, uh, thirdly, man, I'm I'm going hoarse today. I'm sorry. Let me catch a deep breath and then have a cough and then not share COVID with you. Okay. There's the deep breath. <coughs> There's the cough. Okay, that feels so much better. All right. The church is followed. Christians are persecuted. This is where many will start to jump off the boat. Look at verse number 14. He says, For ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us, and they please not God and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles, that they might be saved, to fill up their sins alway." Have you ever wondered what the root of persecution is? It's so that someone else can do what they want to do. Persecution normally comes because someone's told them that they can't do what they want to do. Look at it throughout Scripture. Why was John beheaded? Because he stood up to the leaders. He, he called out sin, the sin of the government, the sin of the leaders. So persecution often occurs because sin is at the, is at the root or is the source. For the wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. The Christians are persecuted. If you're going to live in light of eternity, there's going to be some hard times that come along with it. There's going to be difficulty. You've got a quote there in your notes that I want you to circle, put stars around. I tried to find the source of it. I I read it the other day and I could not find the source. Just know that it's not original with me, okay? Is that the world never persecuted a mediocre Christian. The world never persecutes a mediocre Christian. Look at the... Read Fox's Book of Martyrs sometime. What you'll find is the people who were persecuted and the people who had the most difficult time here on this earth, they were sold out. It wasn't a 50-50 game with them. And you want to know what I think that we're about to see in the church and what I think that God is even going through right now and using is that God is refining His church. If you can't stick with the church and with Christianity because of coronavirus, I very seriously doubt that you're going to stick with Christianity when when a church is being stormed. I, I very seriously doubt that you're going to stick with it and you're going to keep serving, you're going to keep sharing the gospel when someone tells you not to. And part of living in light of eternity means that we better get serious about this thing that we call the Christian life. I don't think the church is headed for better days. I think the church is headed for tougher days. But here's what I want you to see. I think that that means we're headed for brighter days. It's going to be tough, but truth has a way of coming to the top. And if you're dinking around with your Christian life, you say, what does dinking around mean? Okay. When I played soccer, we had a coach that if like, if someone was uh, like running at you and you had someone on you and you were like kind of messing with the ball, like, oh, <laughs> like what am I going to do? All right. And like dancing around, he would quit dinking around, like, like moving along. Like, what are you doing? Okay. You're not moving the ball forward. You're not moving the ball backward. You're, you're Okay. So all the guys that played soccer are laughing because they've heard that too. All right. Quit dinking around. If you're dinking around with your Christian life, like, oh, 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 I don't, oh, what am I going to do? Like, oh, do I, am I going to go for it? Am I going to score? Oh, nope, nope, I'm going to back up. Oh, 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 yeah, oh, oh, okay. There's a reason why when Jesus Christ uh, inspired the book of Revelation to John, he said that I would rather you have been cold than lukewarm. He says, I work that you were cold or hot. He says, either be on fire or be a nobody. Don't live in this world where it's just, uh, I don't know, hot today, cold tomorrow, who knows? What kind of Christian am I going to be today? Oh, show up to church? Nope, not going to do anything with it. The Bible says, yea, all that live godly shall suffer persecution. And you say, that scares the willies out of me. That makes me not want to commit. That makes me kind of want to say, well, if persecution is going to come, then yeah, maybe this whole thing's not really going to work out. Okay, Let me give you something to think about. The only way that you survive something like persecution, or you survive something like criticism, or you survive something like hard times, when I say survive, I'm not talking about physical survival. I'm talking about the only way you endure it is when your mission is greater than the criticism. When your mission and your calling is greater than what you're experiencing. And I don't know about you, but the abundant Christian life is not something that I want to shortchange on. It's not something that just because I go through something difficult that I want to say, well, maybe I'm going to pull back from that. A tough day with God is better than a great day without Him. And there's some of us that the reason why we can't wrap our minds around Christianity is because we're trying to dink around between the world and God. And here's the only thing that I can tell you is that if you have sold out your heart to God, then your toughest days can still be great because they're with God. And your best days can be even better because they are with God. A day without God, no matter whether it's good or bad, is still bad because it does not have God in it. And if you're going to live in light of eternity, you better be ready for some tough times. And the last thing is this, is the joy is shown or the joy is evidenced. Joy is found, I think is how we have it phrased. Joy is found. Why don't you look at verse number 19. Actually, let's go back. we got time to, we got one minute, okay? Verse number 17. But we, brethren, being taken from you a short time in presence, not in heart, okay? He says, I'm not there, but it's, my heart is still with you. Not in heart. Endeavored the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. He said, I wanted to get back to you. Wherefore, we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again. But Satan hindered us. For what is our hope, or joy, or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? For ye are our glory and joy. Ye are our glory and joy do you want to know one of the greatest things that is a byproduct of living the Christian life the way that God calls you to live it? Is that you get to be around people that are on the same track as you. You get to have an impact with people. You get to be surrounded by people that should be wanting to grow just as much as you are. And here's the question that I want to ask you with this. Who's your person? How many of you have ever seen someone post on Instagram, like when they start dating, or like, he's my person. You ever heard that? Like, they don't say it in that voice, because, but that's the way it translates. If you hit the little C translation thing, it would say it that way, all right? Um, she's my person. She's my one. Like, you ever, I, we already voted on that. I already had you raise your hands, all right? But when they say that, what they're saying is like, I'm attached to them because of what we believe, because of what they, what, what I see in them, what they see in me, whatever, Okay? Who's your person in the Christian life? Who's the person that you're growing with? Who's the person that you're seeing growth in? Who's the person that you've gotten to run alongside of and they excite you because of what you've seen in them? If you've never done it before, sit in church beside of a lost person. All of a sudden, the little funny text that you get to send each other during church, like, oh, someone said something funny, okay? That's that's not that exciting anymore because you're sitting by someone who needs Jesus Christ. All of a sudden, the maybe half-hearted listening that you have during church isn't so cool anymore. Remember the first time I had an opportunity to do that was when I was a teenager. Guess what? not even because I, was, I took my Christian life that seriously as a teenager, but guess what? All of a sudden slouching in my chair and kind of being the cool guy that sat in the back and, and kind of like goofed around with my friend, all of a sudden that stuff didn't matter because I was now sitting beside someone who had a choice between heaven and hell. And that service depended upon their eternity. And you want a gauge of your Christian life? See if there's anyone around you that you've helped grow. See if there's anyone around you who's gotten better because of what they've seen in you. I see a lot of Christians that walk into church and they've got their Bible under their arm and they've got their suit jacket on and they're, man, I'm at church, look at me, woo! And they haven't done anything for anybody else that week. They haven't encouraged anybody else. In fact, they possibly have been involved in dragging more people away from church than they ever have putting people in it. And the Christian life is not based off of just you. You don't live this thing on an island. And if you're going to live in light of eternity, there's going to be some persecution that comes. But there's also going to be some people that come alongside of you. That when you look back on your life, you can say, I'm grateful for how God's worked in their life. I'm grateful for the victory that I've seen in them. I'm grateful for how they've encouraged me. I'm grateful for how they've motivated me. I'm grateful that they were willing to confront something in me that no one else was willing to confront. And that's what living in light of eternity looks like. It looks like a Christian who is ready to receive the Word of God. It looks like a Christian who is involved in in working to make the church better, not just complaining because it made them feel bad. It looks like a Christian who is willing to suffer some difficulties, willing to suffer some persecution and keep moving forward because the mission is so much more important than the criticism and the trials that they're facing. And then it looks like someone who is finding joy in those that are around them. Finding joy in seeing others grow closer to Jesus Christ. With every head bowed and every eye closed, let's pray and we'll be done. Thanks for listening. If this lesson is helpful to you, feel free to share it with someone else or let us know by emailing us at crosspoint at franklinroad.org. You can also check us out at frbc underscore crosspoint on Instagram and Twitter. We look forward to connecting with you again soon.